Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 320. Uh, joining us this week, great sports fan, great broadcaster, my brother-in-law, but that's irrelevant to the conversation, and a man you might be hearing a lot more of coming forward as we prepare our new Uticast special series that we're working on. Our good friend Randall Bailey is joining us for the very first time uh, to talk about sports fandom, about growing up in the Midwest uh, with around the Chicago Cubs, moving to New York, uh, navigating those fan bases, uh, and we'll give you a little insight into what our plans are for our, our new little side project coming up. Uh, also this week, Kevin is here. We're going to break down some actual news this week. We'll talk about uh, COVID on the rise. We'll talk about Andrew Cuomo. We'll talk about the anti-bathers movement, people just not bathing for whatever reason. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the end of the Olympics, history lessons, we'll go back to 1991 for our time warp, all of this, folks, and so much more. As always, we are happy to have you here for another episode of the Ubicast. Oh, yes. Very interesting episode this week. Um, for folks who aren't familiar, I'm going to share a term with you guys, uh, a television term. It's called a backdoor pilot. And a backdoor pilot is a term that TV industry people use to describe an established television show or something like that, testing the waters for a proposed new series. Uh, I think the most famous example of this is remember that episode of The Office where um, Dwight wins the farm and goes back to his farm and they're like, this could be a series, and then it just never was. Yeah. So that's kind of what this episode is today. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of what's going on here for episode 320. Uh, as I'm joined uh, for a very great interview with uh, Randall Bailey. I'm calling him our Chicago sports analyst because we haven't come up with a name for the show yet, what it'll eventually be. But Randall's also my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And he's really been, you know, excited to do a sports and history-based podcast. This is an idea he's been pitching to me on The Quiet for about a month now. Sounds right up your alley. So, 100% right up my alley. It was not a hard sell. Um, so this week, we're talking to Randall. Your first your first taste of Randall Bailey as a, as a podcast personality. And I thought he did an excellent job. Mm. And you weren't here to hear the interview, probably. I was not. No, I yeah. haven't heard it. No, but he was great. He was a real professional... Uh, we're still working on the name, though, so I don't have a name necessarily for the pod- So tweet names at you. I've heard... Tweet names at you. He sent me a couple. I don't know if I feel fair just shooting out some suggestions he gave me to the public, because if we don't use them, then it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but there was like a sports historians type thing that we were leaning toward that might be the leading... It feels a little on the nose. Sports Torians. Sports Torians. Sports Torians. Right. I, see. I don't know. It feels. I don't know. I don't know if that's already a thing too. That's mm. how I. That's how I got to check all these things. Too. Yeah, you like, got to check. No reason not to check. You have Google in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, in your pocket and in your home. Uh, so, so this <laughs> week. Yeah, in your veins apparently. If you talk to some people, uh, no, it depends who you ask. Depends who you ask. Depends who you ask. It's tough. Uh, it's tough. But so this week, a little bit of a backdoor pilot as we interview Randall, who's joining us for the first time. We also get to learn mm. a bit about him, and he's a great interview. Uh, just to uh, 
hit myself down in a bad wheelhouse right off the bat. Here's a list of six famous backdoor pilots that did not work in the history. I was going to say, backdoor pilots tend to not really... It's not a great history of the backdoor pilot. I know I know the term from shows, yeah. Uh, there was one... Have you ever heard of any of these? There's one called Kelly's Kids, which was a backdoor pilot from the Brady Bunch about their neighbors. Jesus, no. Ken and Kathy Kelly. No. Oh. How about Empty Nests, which was the neighbors of the Golden Girls, starring Rita Moreno and Peter Dooley. Mm. No, nothing. Mm. Okay, uh, Living Dolls and Charmed Lives were both backdoor pilots from the show Who's the Boss. One starring uh, Leia Remini, who was Samantha's best friend from Brooklyn, right? And then another one was uh, Fran Drescher and Donna Dixon as spokesmodels for a line of prepackaged Italian food. I don't know why that one didn't take off. That seems really interesting. Specific, <laughs> really specific. Uh, there was the Chatterbox, which was an actual backdoor pilot to the Nanny. Uh, about a salon, a single dad salon owner. Remember that place, the Chatterbox? Used to be down yes, Jersey I do Street. That. And, time. and then one called First Response, which I don't know, know what this is from. So there you go, some backdoor pilots for you folks. Uh, yeah. Anyway, what else is going on this week? Uh, oh, I want to shout out everybody who came out to the Handshake City event, the Touch of Truck yesterday. Mm-hmm. We had a nice turnout there. People really love a helicopter. I learned uh, something. Helicopters? What do you mean you learned? You know everybody loves a helicopter. No, I know is people, this new? I know that people like helicopters. Don't get me wrong. I'm fascinated by a helicopter. But I re- it really was surprising when the helicopter landed. One, because a lot of times when there's an event at Handshake City, everything's kind of spread across. There are people in the back. There are people in the, in yeah, the yeah, yeah, food yeah. area. There are people mm-hmm. in the vendor shops. But when the helicopter showed up, everybody like moved as one to where it was... Landing and it was quite. I was like, "Oh wow, this is." Well, because you don't see it, you don't see it. It's you still see, a, you might see a helicopter fly over, but you don't often. It's not often in your life you actually get to stand there and feel the air on your face of you know the helicopter blades as it touches down. That's the very impressive part, actually. When you really look at all the way the bushes and trees are moving, you're like, boy, this thing is really dispelling a lot of air. Like a lot. It's a, quite a machine. Uh, so yeah, people love the helicopter. I got some good footage of that. Um, I had a great time down there yesterday. Uh, I also found out that working out is pointless mm. <laughs> because I've been going to the gym for like a month and a half, right? Mm. And then I go out there and I'm like moving picnic tables in the heat for like 20 minutes. I'm like, I'm gonna die. Mm. Like this, all this working out has been for nothing. I'm still terrible and weak. <laughs> Gotta hydrate. Gotta hydrate. Oh, I had lots of water. People mm. were we went through a lot of water yesterday. That was the yes. I mean, anytime, anytime the sun's out like that. Well, it's it's been real hot this week, and this sort of leads me to my next sort of non secular question for the day for us. I didn't want to go down to Handshake event yesterday wearing a tank top, even though it was like 84 degrees out. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know, is a tank top something I'm allowed to wear in public? I mean, that's a that's personal choice. You can wear one if you want. I don't think 84 degrees is that hot. I think that's I, oversold. Like, 80s is the mild. People are forgetting the 90s, I feel. I don't understand. Like, Oh, I'm not forgetting. We had long stretches last summer. It was like 90 degrees. We may still get, you know what I mean, for 10, 12 days in a row. The 80s, if the 80s is the max, that would be nice for me. It's really more the humidity that comes with it. 84 is what it is, but it was also pretty humid yesterday. Because mm. it felt like it was supposed to rain yesterday and never mm. really did. And I think mm-hmm. it just had that sort of... Sure. That sort of mugginess to it. That being said, yeah, I don't feel... I don't know if it's because I got tattoos on the one arm and people were like... I don't know. I feel weird wearing a tank top. I don't think there's... Like, I don't know if there's that much difference between a tank top and a t-shirt. I know there's not. When it comes to, like, comfort. You know <laughs> what I mean? Or, like, when it comes to, like, oh, this oh, is going to keep me this much cooler. I uh, see. If I'm, I would rather wear a tank top than a t-shirt if I'm being comfortable because the tank top's cut a little lower. I got more neck space. I got a lot of neck room. I can move my head in all sorts of directions. What kind of head movement? No, I'm just doing? saying. And then your arms are out. And, you know what I mean? Like, there's some... 
I, I would say there's a discernible difference. I just don't know that I want to be, you know, showing this much uh, skin for myself mm. in public. I don't I know. You're I don't know. Modest. Am I? Am I too modest? Am I being too modest, modest with this? I don't, you just got to keep lifting those weights. I guess you'll get you'll get to where you won't be able to help it. You'll throw out all your regular shirts. At least I don't have any of the tank tops that are like cut way down to like the 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 ribs. I'm no, talking you about. Can't. You can't. No. <laughs> like it was the 1980s. No. Some things are just for some people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there you go. Uh, touch truck. We had a great time. I don't feel comfortable wearing a tank top in public, though. Also, if I'm working mm. an event, it feels vaguely unprofessional. I don't know. I don't know why. I was like, mm. I have the Maiden Utica shirt on. At least people were like, oh, he seems like he must work mm. here. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, all right. Well, our interview this week is pretty long, but there is some actual news stuff that we should probably cover this week. Um, and... Well, let's, first off, let's start with a piece of local news that was kind of fun, okay? Here's a fun piece of local news, mm. all right? Uh, this is the top seven most delicious sandwiches in the Utica, Rome area. I found this list online, mm. and I wanted to share it with you, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll just go through real quick. Number seven was the Fat Boys Deli. Have you been to Fat Boys Deli? Uh, they're closed. Are they closed? I think it's like a guns and ammo shop now or something weird up there where Big Apple used to be. Huh. I think they're closed, unless they move, Moved, and I maybe, just don't yeah. know where they are now. Number six, the Hub Eatery. Uh, I've always heard amazing things. My mom just down there. there. Always heard amazing things, and uh, they're very serious about customer service down there. I know that. Number five, Mellow Subs. This feels criminally low. I'm just going to throw that I, out there. I get it. The thing with Mellow's is when you're ranking out all the places and all the sandwiches, <laughs> Mellow's does what they do, but... But that's it. That's just what they do, and it's <laughs> amazing, and it's perfect, but like just the, some of these other people are doing some wild stuff. Uh, number four, Mezzaferro's Meats and Deli. I don't go to Rome enough to mm. give this any real, but I'm sure it's delightful. Looks yeah, good. Don't know much about it. Number three, Oh Baby's Gourmet Sandwich Shop. True. True True story. 100% true. Really underrated. Number two, Pumpernickel's Deli. Literally one of my favorite places in the entire <laughs> geographical area. And I love af- Pumpernickel's Deli. And then after all that, number one, Pantry 284 on Genesee Street in Utica. I don't mm. know where this is. I think I do. Uh, it's that, you know that white building? When you're going down Genesee Street, headed downtown, it would be on your left, the white building, like right before you're coming up on mm-hmm. the Stanley mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's right in there in one of those I fronts. see. Huh. Interesting. Pantry 284. I only bring it up because I'd never really heard much about this place, but I heard most of the other places on this list. So I was mm-hmm. like, wait a second. A lot of places. A lot of places. Uh, yeah, so that was our fun piece of local news this week. Apparently, mm. if you want the best local sandwich, you got to go to Pantry 284, although I still ride and die with Mellow's. Can't yeah, help it. I mean... I think the aesthetics of Mellow's also right up my wheelhouse. And it's like the whole vibe of it. Yeah. It feels like it's, like it's got like a whole particular vibe. Certainly. Uh, speaking of which, though, vibes are a little bit down for the next two stories, so let's get into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, uh, COVID-19 rates are raising across New York State. A uh, number of people testing positive for COVID-19 in New York continues to swell statewide as hospitalizations grow at a slower pace. Uh, average of 2,036 people have tested positive each day over the past seven days. Uh, Kevin, a lot of people I've talked to feel like the inevitable like remasking is coming anytime soon mm. feels like it's on the way mm-hmm. um do you feel like we're gonna get a full scale re-shutdown though like the first time because I, I feel like that's not gonna happen right away no it doesn't seem like it i feel like it's gonna be real hard to pull back now that people have sort of like opened up for six weeks and feel like it's normal and you might be able to get a lot of people going back to masks but i wonder how many places are gonna be like re-shutting down or gonna push back against that i mean you would have to see that's pretty speculative yeah. you would have to see it get to get to the kind of point where you're really having that sort of discussion mm. like what it mean because like people just say like 
all shut down, but, like, what does that mean? Like, what actually yeah. shut down? Like, it's just, it's all pretty, like, broad-termed conjecture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's really discouraging to see the things rising. And I've already seen more people wearing masks just out and about yep. getting, like, coffee, being in the grocery store. Um, the one thing you keep seeing in every place this is happening, you know, Florida is, is has, like I said, a terrifying jump yeah. in cases, all this stuff. But the biggest thing you're seeing is... The vast majority of these people getting sick and getting COVID and, you know, passing away from COVID are people mm-hmm. who are unvaccinated. And so, you know, it's not to make a stance or whatever. I'm not going to yeah. soapbox anybody about it, sure. you know, because gee, I, it's the only thing anybody ever wants to talk about. But, um, I mean, look at it. Yeah. You just hope it doesn't go hard way in the fall. You know, mm-hmm. diseases like this, any kind of respiratory disease like this yeah. is always worse when it gets cold in the fall the weather gets bad through october um through december into that kind of stuff everybody's indoors so uh you hope not but i feel criminally under knowledged in whether we should be getting like vaccine booster shots for people who already have them at that'll some point be coming. In time. i feel like that's gotta that'll be coming come. soon right like, i feel like i would have heard more not about super it soon, but I mean, it's, it's out there yeah. if you want to go look look yeah. for it it's definitely out there uh the other story that uh, is the serious story of this week seems to be Andrew Cuomo and his uh, his disinterest in resigning uh, based on a report from last week from the state attorney general uh, saying the governor had sexually harassed 11 women look I, I know that I've sort of had like a weird like I know that people hate Cuomo and I kind of roll my eyes by how much people like blame everything that happens in this in the state on Andrew Cuomo sure but my man's got to go. He's got to go, right? Oh, I, I can't believe this isn't the I'm done with this guy segment. Like, this should like, be yeah. the, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's got to go, right? Like, this is the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, he, he should resign. If he doesn't yeah. resign, they should impeach him. Like, there's just no, there's no reason for it yeah. because he hasn't, you know, it comes up because as this has turned into, like, a political thing, we're always talking about politics on this show. We live in New York State and it's come up and, you know, like you said, we laugh because sometimes... People are a little melodramatic yes, with it absolutely. on like Facebook and you know different stuff like that that you see. But a hundred percent, yeah, he should go, yeah. and I hope that he's held accountable by his party. And it will be just another example yeah. of party taking accusations like this and things like this seriously. You know what I mean? Of course, there's always the well-worn horse of it's really interesting to see who all of a sudden cares about sexual right. harassment claims now. <laughs> yeah, that's correct, um, that's true. Who all yeah. of a sudden thinks that this is a big, giant problem, you know yeah. what I mean, and who's going to go after our party. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people barking about it now who weren't doing it when it was, you know, folks from their side, but that's always kind of the way it goes. Uh, yeah, I'm done with this guy. That would be great. Guy. I yeah. would love to just see, like, we're just, we're done. We've had enough. You can't convince me that there's not somebody else who can come in here and do at least as good of a job, if not much better, so... It's time to move forward. I've had this question asked to me a lot in both good faith and bad faith, I think, since the subs come out. Like, do you think this guy should resign? And my answers remain the same every time. Absolutely, I think he should, but also I guarantee he will not. Right? It doesn't feel like he's going to, right? Like, he should, and I Mm -hmm. hope he does, but it doesn't feel like he will, and it feels like he'll get ugly before he does. Mm. Right? That's my cynical prediction on what I expect this to turn out as. Mm -hmm. But there you go. I mean, yeah, he's got to go. Yeah, you can't, you can't do it. I mean, as you know, you just can't have it. Uh, let's do something a little lighter before we get into the interview stuff this week. Let's talk sure. about the big, major debate that is sweeping the internet. The anti-bathers movement. Kevin, a lot of these celebrities on the internet are claiming that they no longer shower or shower less than uh, what we've been advertised as adults, right? Uh, this started a couple weeks ago with Ashton Kutcher 
and uh, Mila Kunis, who said that they very rarely shower. This is mm. a quote from Ashton Kutcher. Uh, I wash my armpits and my crotch daily and nothing else ever. I'm a big fan of waiting for the stink, said Kristen Bell on a View interview this week. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal also said that more and more he finds bathing to be less necessary mm. at times. On the other side of this debate is The Rock, who chimed in today, uh, saying that he is the opposite. He showers three times a day. Yeah, but think about what The Rock's <laughs> doing in a day. He says he has a cold shower when he gets out of bed, a warm shower after his workout, and then a hot shower when he gets home from work. And then he does face wash, body wash, exfoliate, and sing in the shower on all three of those. Both of these seem wild and wrong. Mm. <laughs> right? Where do you fall on the bath- bathers, anti-bathers conversation? I can't believe that these folks have chose to make the the this uh, a stance or a thing. I don't know. It's, it's, it's all weird. The whole thing is weird. They're a bunch of weirdos. Um... This strikes me as something that people... The only people who have these people kind of conversations... Like boards, there's no news stories. I have so much money on board. Well, no, here's like, the thing. So here's the thing about like some of these celebrities. If yeah. you've got... These folks live in houses with pools, jumping in the ocean all the time, eating perfectly prepared diets, like yeah. going to a beauty salon, this and that, probably just chatting it up. I mean, when you got a bunch of kids and it's the summertime and they're out there and they're swimming, you're just like, all right, these kids are crashing and going to bed like you're up at camp, you know, things like that happen, but... Ah, whatever works for them. You know, what can I say? I stand behind the idea that I will shower every day if I'm, you know, as long as I'm, you know, know, I'm not doing run the house or anything, whatever, but I like to shower every day. I do believe that you probably shouldn't wash your hair every day. I feel like my hair gets sort of weird if you wash it well, and shampoo it, it every day. Well, I think day. it depends also because there's something to be said. Like a lot of really like processed like soaps yeah. or wash products that like might dry you out or be unnatural or pull away natural oils. And people are also different too, you know what I mean? Depending on some people have oilier skin, drier yeah. skin, different sort of makeups and genetics and things like that. So That being said, um, if I have to take two showers in a day, I'm annoyed. So I find myself caught in between these two worlds. Mm. I definitely find that maybe Ashton and Mila and Jake should stop talking. I do talking. like the cold shower in the summer. Cold shower, underrated. I'm not talking full cold shower. Give me something like cold, closer to not cold. Not ice yeah, cold, yeah, but very yeah. cool. Yeah. So there you go. So I feel like I'm still on the bathers side of this argument. Uh, quick doomsday report. I thought this was an interesting uh, piece that was presented to me somewhere this week. It was a futuristic movie timeline. about. It laid out all of the movies that are presented in the future mm-hmm. and where we lie in the timeline currently. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for some context... In 2021, these are the things that have theoretically already happened in movie history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clockwork Orange, Escape from New York. Mm -hmm. It's 2001. This one makes no sense to me. The Postman, starring Kevin Costner, was supposedly happened in 2013. Mm -hmm. But then RoboCop happened in 2015, so society's back. Yeah. Two years later. Which it's is ba- the power of the United States Postal Service. <laughs> which is back. <laughs> which is a service and not a business. Uh, so, as of today, 2021, we have, fallen, we have fallen between Blade Runner, which took place in 2019, and the movie Soylent Green, which mm. takes place in 2022. So, for folks who are projecting the future, uh, this is what our future timeline looks like. We're going to get the Soylent Green era, where food will be made out of humans. Mm. Right? That's 2022. And then by 2027, we'll get the Children of Man future, where nobody's allowed to have sex. Is that 
or no, they can't. Uh, children of men. Everybody's infertile. Everybody's infertile. That's right. And then there's one baby. Like one, a lady has yeah. a baby. It's a miracle. It's like oh, it's been four years since the last baby was born. So a year after that, in 2028, we'll get the 12 Monkeys future, which I kind of mm. forgot what that one is. It's like time mm. travel, right? And like a that's a weird movie. I don't know what that future would look like. Then the Demolition Man future in 2032. So we're looking up, actually, all things considered. Mm. No, Demolition Man future is good. So there you go. That's the future. We have Soylent Green coming next. So don't trust anything that you eat, I guess, because it could be people. Uh, I, I don't endorse that statement. You stay on your own with that madness. You don't get these people started. You'll have whole forums dedicated to, like, oh, look. Well, I thought He's it was slipping in the truth. No, I thought I just thought it was interesting. All the the different like future scenarios they don't mm. line up at all. Like you know, yeah, of course. Uh, how do you go from Demolition Man in twenty thirty two to V for Vendetta in twenty thirty eight? Right, mm. seems like a weird, it's a ju- busy six years. Seems like a really, really busy six years. Also, a big world. <laughs> to be fair, you know what I mean. Like something in the United States, something in England. Uh, this one is just a headline I really liked. A uh, report came out earlier this week that. Pete Parada, the drummer of the California pop punk band The Offspring, has been ousted from the band for his refusal to be vaccinated for COVID-19. I really like this headline, Why Don't You Get a Jab? Yo. Yo, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to jump in on this, you know, conversation or debate. I think the most interesting thing that came out of this story, though, is that people found out that Dexter Holland has a PhD in molecular biology. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, that seemed yeah. to that's be a big the thing about him. <laughs> yeah. It kind of popped out of the story. I no, feel no, like. Dexter's always been there. Yeah, he's got that PhD. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, they haven't said whether or not the guy's actually out of the band for good or just out for now, but, sure. uh, but there you go. Why don't you get a jab? Pretty good headline. Uh, all right. Let's do a very quick Olympics check-in since we're going to get into our sports section of the show. Is the Olympics Man. over? It is now over. The okay. uh, closing ceremonies were yesterday. Uh, we won, guys. The USA hey. won. What do you know? Uh, but you know what? Americans were not impressed with the fact that the Ameri- that we won the, the Olympics. As a matter of fact, according to a report that came out earlier this week of 1,000 U.S. residents, 40% of Americans believe they are fit enough to compete. And at least one Olympic summer or winter event. That includes three mm. times as many men as women, 60% to 22%. I believe that. I like this one a lot. Half of all the respondents from the Northeast, so 52% of people <laughs> from the Northeast, were like, yo, we got this. We're yeah, I could do that. Uh, you know what? Maybe some skiing. That's the only thing I could think of, right? All the snow sports, winter Olympics. Maybe someone... Yeah, but then where is Tahoe and Denver and all them? I'm just saying. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what that, that, that was how I got there, but I love the phrasing of that. Half the, half the people in the Northeast. And almost 70% of those under the age of 35. Uh, basketball, soccer, and swimming were the particularly popular choices. I felt like... I fe- I, number one, I can't compete in any Olympic event. But I would say if I was going to take a shot, it wouldn't be at one of those, because those are premier events. It'd no. have to be something a little more... Down the line, mm-hmm. right? Like something a little more fringe. Mm-hmm. I can't think of one specifically off the top of my head. Like maybe, I don't know. I don't no, because I'm not a fool. I'm not. I'm no Olympian. Like there's yeah, no way. Nothing. I'm there's not, nothing. I'm, don't count me anywhere near that forty percent. There's not a single thing in the Olympics I can compete at an Olympic level. You don't think we turn you into a shot putter? Turn, what does turn? <laughs> what does turn one into mean? Like in some world where like you could dedicate ten years. Yeah. To it? No, it's already too late. Um, probably really like going against people that have been doing it all through like their youth and are still young. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no way. Uh, Everybody would get waxed in every sport they think they'd compete in. uh, I have one last Olympic story that kind of goes with this. This is from Defector. The story's title is Unconscious Man Wins Karate Gold Medal. Uh, (laughs) This week, 
in the finals of the 78-kilogram karate finals. Saudi Arabia's Tariq Ham uh, Hamidi took on Iran's Sajaj Ganzaje. I hope I said that right. Hamidi kicked this man so hard that he went down that he started celebrating, but was told that he would be disqualified because he kicked his opponent too hard and knocked him out. Mm. So the man who was knocked out, uh, Mr. Ganjadeen, ended up winning, even though he was unconscious on the floor at mm. the time of his victory. So nice yep. wake up. So, do you feel like, do you want to wake up like that? I feel like it's a weird way to win. I, I, no, I, yes, I do want the gold medal. Is that the question? Yeah. You want to like that? What is the what is the answer? You don't want the gold medal. When is the answer that you don't want the gold medal? If I'm in a fighting sport mm -hmm. and the opponent knocks me out and they say he knocked you out too hard, here's a gold medal. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't want that gold medal. I mean, that's the rules. This is the people. What do you want? Know, They're gonna give it to you. What do you give? I it would back? trade it with them. I, I would I didn't <laughs> see it, so I don't know anything about it. But like, yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I have the clip right here. I'll play. There is. That was the kick he hit him with right there. Didn't seem. Like the most brutal kick. I don't uh, know why that's a disqualification. Yeah, I don't really know the rules at yeah. all in the sport. Uh, I felt bad for this guy though. Uh, I also, tough. I also really like the headline: "Unconscious man wins karate gold." Mm. Uh, all right. So yeah, now it's time for a sort of a big section of sports. So if you're not a sports fan, you know, skip around. Skip around, but listen to Randall's story because Randall's a fascinating guy. We had a great conversation. Mm. Uh, Love talking to him, not just because he's my brother-in-law, but he's had a great story in his whole life growing up in the Midwest, mm -hmm. uh, traveling to New York, uh, meeting his wife there, moving back to the Midwest, mm -hmm. fandom, what it's like to be a man who lived in New York and Chicago, rooting for teams there. Uh, we had a great time talking, so I'm looking forward to this, and you should too. Randall Bailey. cable i'll pull the curtain people who've listened to the pod know this already i don't have proper cable i have um an antenna like a digital antenna okay so, so i'm just watching whatever's on like you know cbs abc like me tv just the real basic like channel mm -hmm. and i'm flipping through the channels here just now and two and a half men is on and i have to say i've never once watched an episode of two and a half men but i feel like it's one of those shows that people just hate yeah i i I can say that I've never watched a full episode of Two and a Half Men either. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I could. Did you attempt to watch it at all? No, I attempt to watch some of the shows that appear on like syndication during the day when I'm on summer vacation. I attempted to watch a couple episodes of a show called Two Broke Girls. Are you familiar with this show? I've yeah, I've seen it in the background while I'm at the gym. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a big background of the gym show. I think so. It's unwatchable to the point where I think to myself, the actors on this show must know this show is awful, but they just must make like money doing it so they don't care. Yeah, because I've never actually heard the show. I've only seen it at the gym. And it seems as though it's it, there's a clear formula, right? I <laughs> yeah. think a lot of these shows, like Two and a Half Men, it's a formula. It's basically, the script is somewhat 
it's like the same every week. They just, you know, a different like supporting character comes in or something. But Two Broke Girls, for example, because it takes place in like a diner or something, right? In Brooklyn. Yeah. Bro- diner. In yeah. Brooklyn. So it's always like the same people. And I've always, it seems like every time I see it at the gym, it, I feel like it's the same episode. It has to be. It looks exactly the same every, every episode. Well, I feel like that was a thing that people would say about friends back in the day. Like, wait, these people are just in this coffee shop every single right. day. Are they invested in this coffee shop? Do they own the coffee? I don't understand. Like, I've never been in yeah. any place that often. <laughs> no, you're uh, right. You're right. So, folks, for folks who don't know, uh, joining us this week is, uh, I guess, just my brother-in-law, Randall Bailey. Uh, yeah. RBJ, Randall Bailey Jr., you are one of assorted family members who have been on the podcast over the years. Your wife has been on, um, mm-hmm. but she's she's a good character. I don't have to do much. Yeah, yeah. Rightfully so. She should be on. Me, not so much, but yes. <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, you know, you are, and again, I've hinted to the listeners before a few episodes ago that we've been talking sort of in the background between life stuff about putting on together some sort of sports show. Yeah. You are probably the only person in my direct, like in our direct family group. I know who really cares about sports the way I do. Yes. That's true. And you're probably the same for me. Right. Cause I I don't have anyone on, on my, you know, my other side, right. My other side of the family who, who has that, that, that same sports fandom. Um, and yeah, but I think our fandoms, our fandoms, if I can speak, are, are a little, well, I shouldn't speak for you, but mine is pretty unique because, you know, I, I growing up in the Chicagoland area, right. Yeah. Being a, a Chicago Cubs fan, we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot to root for when I was growing up. Right. It, Cause the, you know, you had 1908 and then 2016. So for 108 years, you know, you had some fun players. And when I was growing up, it was, you know, Ryan Sandberg, Andre Doss and yeah. those teams. But what, what really brought me into sports was, was the stories, right? Because when you have, when you have teams that aren't any good, all you have are stories, sports stories. And when I was a kid, I would devour sports stories, you know, and like, uh, like a lot of kids, you know, with, with stats, right. Sports stats. I don't remember any of those anymore. Right. But as a kid, I could have rattled off everything, but I've lost that information. But, uh, and, and quite honestly, that's not as important to me anymore, but no. the sports stories, the human interest stories, which you see today, like with the Olympics, it's all human interest stories surrounding the Olympics, which can get a little tiresome. Cause it's, it's constant a little bit, right? A little bit, <laughs> just a little bit. But when you look throughout history, the history of sports, yeah, it's, and that's, that's where I've always been a big fan of the stories. So does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And it's something that I, as a, as an educator have voiced a lot in my, yeah. like, in my classrooms, right? Because uh, total side story, uh, and I'll, I'll talk to you about this afterwards, but I got the opportunity with this new job to maybe coach some sort of team. They've offered this to me and I, I've got, really? like, I've got a pick of teams to choose from essentially. Oh, yeah. Are so there your... it, it's, like, it's like basketball track and baseball. I don't feel qualified for baseball, but I can uh-huh. see myself doing like the Hoosiers thing, just going out like full Bobby Knight and screaming it. <laughs> you should, you should just 
We're doing full court press the entire game. game. Two, three zone. <laughs> only doing That's right. Stuff. Uh, no, but I always said as a kid, I learned I was a bad athlete. I love to play sports. I love baseball sure. and, soccer and football and all the other things I wanted to be involved in, but I was terrible. But what soccer and sports like this taught me were a lot of lessons that as a young man are kind of hard to come across otherwise. How to lose gracefully, how to right. work within a team setting, how to do your part for something greater, how to get excited for big moments and how to like experience defeat and how to experience joy. And those are like weird amorphous things that I don't think a lot of kids get outside of sports or have a hard time replicating outside of the sports experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, that I'm a, I'm a parent, right? And obviously, you know, my children, they're your niece and nephew. Um, and, you know, neither one of them um, are, are athletes, right, per se. And but that's exactly right. You see how they can learn how to be a part of a team, work together, you know, do their part. And, you know, we went through that because, I mean, unless you're a professional athlete, which is so few, eventually your athletic career is going to end. Right. So I think a lot of, and it does as a professional, but in a much different way. Uh, but it, yeah, I think that's, it's a building block, right? That's what sports were uh, for you as a person. Do you, uh, do you feel like, and I, I, I know there's no way to like say this gracefully. Did you want your son to get into sports or are you sort of glad that he's sort of into the music thing and kind of doing his own thing? Yeah. I, <sighs> I'd be lying if I said I didn't want him to get into sports. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> because, you know, you, I think everybody wants to live vicariously through their kids and to yeah. some degree. And I still do, but just in a different yeah. way now. Because he, like you said, he's into music and plays yeah. guitar and does the rock band thing. Great. <laughs> right. He's following in his uncle's footsteps, which is great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But at the same time, I, you know, you know your kids. And, you know, I, I knew that... Um, he wasn't, that wasn't his thing. Uh, we tried a few things, you know, yeah. tried a few different sports, soccer and baseball. Um, but you know what? It, that wasn't for him. And it's fine. He's got to be his own person. You know, I'm a little, I actually am a little surprised that your daughter never got into some sort of sport. Cause she is pretty athletic, Like she's like young and vital and good shape. And seems like she might be like, I, I could have seen her being a soccer player or something along those lines. Well, you do realize she is a sports star in high school. She is lettered in cheerleading and I think track now. That's right. So, That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah, but you're right. She she does it more for just the community of it, the friendships, yeah. right? She's certainly, it. yeah, which which is great. I mean, that's that's what it's it's supposed to be fun, and that's what she does it for. So, but you're right. She she didn't. It you know what, and I it's, it's just when you want to be a good athlete, it takes a lot of work. Yes. And that's something that she's like, ah, it's not really, not that she doesn't want to work, but not at that. I got a little healthier about it in high school because I think that for a long time, I was aggravated that I wasn't good at sports. There was, I've tried all these things and I just couldn't, you know, I was bad at hitting in baseball. I was too mm-hmm. small for football. I couldn't shoot a basketball all that well. Even today, I like to play basketball, but I stink. But again, I, I guess I craved that sort of camaraderie or teamwork or wanting to be a part of something, uh, which as I get farther on, I think sports fandom becomes that, like just the people you talk yeah. about. That sort of becomes right. your new team. Right. right? Well, I, and like you, you found that in music though. I mean, you, you had a, with yeah. a band, didn't you have that camaraderie? And then even 
you know, when you were younger, when you did uh, productions, right? When I was in yeah. high school and college, I was in theater. So yeah. I, you, I kind of moved away because I knew that that wasn't going to be uh, something that was going to stay around forever. And, and I, I just, you know, you move and, but you're right. I always sought that out. And I think that's what brought me to when I was in high school to the theater. I did the musicals and the plays because it was fun well, and the camaraderie. Let's go back for a second, since we're sort yeah. of starting to get into the first section anyway. So for folks who get a better idea about you, Randall, Randall, where were you born and raised? What do you call your hometown? Well, I was born in Joliet, Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if any, well, you know it because you've been here. But uh, yeah, it's, we're about, what, 45 minutes southwest of Chicago. Uh, so I was raised in Plainfield, which is just, you know, like north of Joliet, essentially the same area you know whether it's uh uh but we're you know we consider ourselves uh, when we talk to people who don't know the area we say we're from chicago because it's just easier right yeah we're from chicago well that was sort of my next question because you and i uh similar in that way your your distance from juliet to chicago is a lot smaller than utica's to new york city but i think when you live in sort of the shadow of let's call it a landmark city it yeah. always sort of exists on the periphery of your young mind, right? Like, so how were you guys going into Chicago when you were in like high school and middle school to do stuff? Or were you thinking about escaping to Chicago when you were in high school? Like, oh. What was the, was it like a totem? Yeah. You know, we were really young. Yeah. We would go up maybe once or twice a year. Typically we'd go around Christmas time because the decorations, you know, similar like New York City, right? Yeah. Go up and see the decorations. We had Marshall Fields, which was the big department store back in the day that did the windows and we would go up for that. And we loved it as kids. And then I would probably say one time in the summer, we would go up to the museum, whether it was the Museum of Science and Industry or the Field Museum, we would do one of those. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then uh, I I don't think, I didn't, I shouldn't say that. We would go up for a baseball game probably once a year too. Usually a Cubs game, sometimes a White Sox game. Um, But uh, and then when I got when I got older and into high school, really, because middle school was I don't remember middle school it was the worst years of my life. So I just blocked them out completely. They're always the worst years of ever. They no are about it. High school, you're like a defined human being. Yeah. School, you're a little kid. Middle school is just like this uh, nonsense, like a lava lamp of drama and hormones. It's the worst. It is. I think I had a few good summers in middle school because it was just fun. But yeah. the, otherwise, I remember none of it. So in high school, then we really wanted, then once we could drive ourselves, mm-hmm. we would go up, not all the time, but, you know, quite a bit, uh, you know, and probably not, not the best judgment because we didn't know the, the city that well. And we would just drive up and see what would happen. And, yeah. you know, well, we were always safe and, and, you know, it always worked out, but yeah, we, we, we wanted to get up there as much as we could. Now, did you, when I met you, this is years ago, you were in New York and yeah. I, I don't know if I have the timeline right. Did you live in Chicago at any point in time before coming to New York or did you do like Joliet, New York, back to Chicago? Yeah, no, I never lived in Chicago before I moved to New York City. Yeah. So yeah, I was in college uh, and then in Indianapolis for a, uh, two years. And yeah. then after that, moved to New York City. So no. Didn't live in Chicago until after I lived in New York City. And I wanted to mention, because there's probably a sports connection here. You went to college at Butler University. 
That's correct. Yes. Uh, famously, I feel like most people recognize Butler now as the home of Brad Stevens. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you, and well, I'm saying, did you, how much of a culture was sports there when you were doing like college stuff? What were you studying out there? Uh, I was in the, the fine arts, uh, the theater program there. So, um, but actually we, back then they had a pretty good basketball team. Yeah. It wasn't what it turned into with uh, Gordon Hayward and Brad yeah. Stevens. But um, when we, when I was there, so they, they have this Hinkle field house, which is where Hoosiers was filmed. Right. So it's a pretty famous landmark, uh, you know, basketball court in Indiana. So it was a great place to watch a game. And my second year there, Butler was on the rise and they had a guy named Darren Archibald. I think that was his name. I, I can double check that. That sounds but he was he was a good player. I mean, he was a you know twenty point score every every game. He didn't you know uh, he didn't play beyond college. I don't believe at least not in the states. Um, but he was good. And so the second year I was there, actually North Carolina came to town. Mm-hmm. So with Dean Smith back in the day, Eric Montross was on that team. They were a good team. Yeah. So that was that was the highlight of of my Butler in terms of athletic right mm. watching it sp- spectator side so we got went to that game and it was a blast i mean and it was a it was a good game I and mean, butler hung with them they ended up losing of course but yeah so it was fun basketball is huge in indiana everywhere in indiana so yeah it was it was good there too would you so let me ask you this question before i move on to my my next thing about uh new york city where you grew up juliet midwest how would you power rank the way the sports are received is the bears at a higher level than like the bulls and the cubs, or is it like, what's the predominant yeah. fandom? Yeah. So it's a bears town. First and bears foremost, town. Chicago is a bears town because yeah. it's one football team, right? It's a, if New York city had one football team yeah, um, instead of two. So it's a bears town first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's, then it goes cubs. Yeah. It makes sense. It's Bears, then Cubs. Cubs. Uh, and I mean, White Sox fans would be mad if I didn't put them third. <laughs> but since I'm not a White Sox fan, I would probably say Bulls. Um, and plus, you know, when I grew up, I mean, this was, I, I didn't grow up. I was in college in the 90s. But I mean, that's when the Bulls were, were at their, their peak, right? So well, that's, it's that's probably when, different to me. That's when the Bulls, I think, I think for a lot of folks outside of Chicago, which is something we talk a lot about, about growing up in different fan bases, you know, Jordan was so big. The fact that he played for the Chicago Bulls was almost like secondary. Yeah. For, for us, it's like he's just the best player we've ever seen growing up. There was right. no question. Right. Uh, and I do wonder, you know, and I look at the Bulls right now and there's a lot of good press for the Bulls right now because yeah. of all the yeah. they've made. It is interesting to think that I feel like as a Knicks fan, as I look from the outside, it feels like the Bulls are just starting to still, it feels like a long time, but they're just starting to like rebuild their image in the post Jordan, even post like Ben Gordon era of the Bulls, the Thibodeau era. <laughs> well, you know, they did have, uh, the Derrick Rose era was supposed yeah. to be something that had never met, it never turned into, right? Yeah. Um, and because of injury really with, with Derrick Rose, but they were, they were a fun team. Yeah. Um, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They even had, uh, I, which it was one of LeBron's teams. I mean, he's been on so many LeBron. now. Which one was it? 
Uh, it was either the Heat or the Cavs. They had them on the ropes. Um, uh, so, yeah, but but that ended almost like this current Cubs run ended almost sooner than everyone thought and really kind of in disarray. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think that's interesting, too, because, you know, you when I met you in New York and you were in New York, yeah. you were starting to you know date and do your thing. Uh, I assumed because you were living in New York at that time and we were I think we went to a couple of Yankee games back then. I always assumed sure. you were a Yankees fan because you lived in New York for so long that it kind of converted you over to being a Yankees fan. Well, that, I think it also I think everyone living in the city at that time was pretty gung ho for the Yankees. Yeah. No. Well, I always tell people, first and foremost, I'm a baseball fan. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I love baseball and I really love good baseball. So living in, you know, I, I moved to New York city in 1994. So from, you know, that pretty much the Yankees were just, they were on the rise. So mm-hmm. they were, a, uh, and the, I mean, all those homegrown players with, with Jeter and, and Bernie and Posada, yeah. um, it was, they were just a lot of fun. And I loved Paul O'Neill. I loved his attitude. I loved everything about him. So I loved watching those teams and those games. So, and, and being a Cubs fan, I hated the Mets, right? Really? Yeah. So yeah, hated the Mets. So I wasn't going to watch the Mets. So yeah, I watched a lot of Yankee games and I did become a fan because it was, I mean, that was a dynasty that, you know, I would never seen before and especially coming from Chicago. <laughs> What's so fascinating for me about the Yankees is I have always associated myself. And I think it's just timing with rooting for essentially sad sack loser teams. For the longest time, it was the Knicks outside of like that period of the 90s when when I was growing up. The Bills were terrible up until the last few years. Uh, Liverpool, my beloved Liverpool, was garbage (laughs) for many years. Uh, But the Yankees was the only team that I ever felt like I rooted for that I knew people actively were like, this team sucks, I hate this team, front runner, and it was the only team I ever rooted for that felt like I was rooting for the bad guys. And even to this day, yeah. it sort of feels a little bit like I'm like rooting for the like Darth Vader and the Empire to win. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, mean? no, I do know what you mean, but I, I, you know, I think you might be safe now. I think the Dodgers might be taking that away from the Yankees right now with all yeah. of their moves. But but I know I know exactly what you mean because most people in Chicago would would think anyone from Chicago rooting for a New York team is blasphemy, right? Because, you know, the second city, you know, this whole thing with Chicago, New York. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I, there are people in Chicago who would, would rather see anybody, but a New York team win, especially the Yankees because, you know, of their history. You know, I think that's the other thing with the Yankees. Like a lot of Yankees fans ride on the history aspect of it. If, if, if you're a person mm-hmm. who likes the history of baseball, again, you look at teams like the Cubs, yeah. Yankees, and the Red Sox, and there's this long history and lineage going all the way back to the early like 1900s. So there's something to it if you're a history person on top of being a sports person. And baseball in particular scratches that itch because of the legacy of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, being a baseball fan and going to Yankee stadium in the nineties was, it was like going to Mecca. Right. I mean, that's, this is, this is, this is the house that Ruth built that, you know, all the championships, they've got monument park. Uh, So yeah, I, for me, that, that, that's exactly right. Like I said, 
earlier, you know, it's about the stories and the Yankees were full of fun stories throughout their history, <laughs> right? Not just winning, but just the characters. And that's, that's what is, is always really cool about, about any sports team, but the Yankees were just full of them. So Randall, I pulled up about three different uh, sports related Chicago slash New York topics. And I'm sure. going to, I'm going to go through them right in order real quick for folks. So they can get an idea of what we'll potentially be doing going forward. Uh, <laughs> so let's start off with the NBA since that's fresh in the mind of a yeah. lot of sports fans. Uh, free agency just ended Chicago bulls. Uh, you have, yeah. uh, you have Alex Caruso. He's the internet's favorite basketball player. Now on your team, you have, <laughs> you have DeMar DeRozan. Uh, yes. Levine not going to leave seemingly seems like he's stuck in. Uh, and I'm, I'm forgetting something. So, Oh, and Lonzo, Lonzo Ball. Ball. Lonzo yeah. Ball. So where are you, where are your thoughts as a Bulls fan from last season looking forward? What are your immediate thoughts about the new season upcoming? Uh, immediately, I, I'm excited about the new season. I think that this should be a middle-of-the-pack playoff team, right, in the Eastern Conference uh, between maybe four, five, six, right, probably yeah. in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that to me is exciting. And I think that they're, for the most part, I mean, DeRozan isn't young. He's, I think he's like 31, 32, but that's okay. But, and because the rest of the team is young, right? Yeah. I like you've got, boys. yeah, Lonzo Ball is, he's what, I don't know, 23 maybe. Yeah. Uh, Levine is 27. Um, you've got uh, their, their Patrick Williams, who they drafted last year. He's only 20 years old. People love so, Patrick Williams on all yeah. the forums I listen to. Yeah. So I think they're going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I really like Billy Donovan, the coach. Mm-hmm. And he, he couldn't do much last year with the team they had. And yeah. so I'm, I'm really excited to see what they're going to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if they're not in the middle of, of the pack next year for in the playoff seating, then, then something went south, right? Either an injury or, or something. See, I'm sort of in a weird spot now. The Knicks are, and I, I say this all the time to people who, who aren't Knicks fans, the people who don't understand. If the Knicks were really good, they would be the most popular team in New York and it wouldn't even be close. New York basketball fans are desperate yeah. for the Knicks to be good. And after last season, there was a lot of positivity, even despite getting kind of washed in that first playoff round against Trey Young. Right, right. Uh, but I look at this, I look at what the Knicks did in the offseason. I look at the Fournier move. I look at them re-signing Randall and Noel and re-signing Derrick Rose and bringing, you know, and they had the young guys from last year. And none of it feels, and I guess Kemba Walker coming in on the yeah. deal. None of it outside of Kemba feels particularly like sexy or kind of new. Like right. Fournier feels kind of like, okay, they're, they're going to get somebody. I feel like I'm in a weird spot right now where I think the Knicks are better than they were last season, but everybody else in the East got good and they're going to drop down and be worse because of it. <laughs> I think the Bulls and the Knicks are going to be in that, yeah. that sort of beating each other up for the five through seven, eight spot with a couple other teams. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the yeah. Bulls and the Knicks are going to be probably, you know, right there. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, well, I, I don't think. Well, who who else really improved? I mean, you've got. The, I mean, you're not going to touch Brooklyn because they they've they're already at the top of the, the class, no. right? I mean, you're going to assume that Milwaukee, as the defending champions, even 
you know, with minor changes, is probably still one of the top three teams. You're going to assume yes, Brooklyn is one of the top two or three teams. I think people are still going to give the 76ers and even Boston and Miami, maybe not so much Boston right now, but I think that Miami. Miami, yeah, they've, they've yeah. done a lot. I but still, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it'll be interesting to see with Boston because they really didn't do much, right? No, I think with Boston, there's a fair chance that they could drop down and try and rebuild this next season over Tatum and Brown, right? Like, we're going to step yeah. back. We have these two guys. Even if we only make, like, the seventh or eighth seed this year or don't make the playoffs, we have this foundation. We're not going to spend money on Evan Fournier. We're not going to – you know, we're not going to – Right, right. Like, um, I mean, it's frustrating because I live with a Lakers fan and I keep having to hear about Russell Westbrook for the last three days. I can't <laughs> – it's yeah, I, I, that would be nauseating. <laughs> but, well, I mean, what's their average age now on that team? Is it like, what, 48, 49? I think they called me. I mean, they <laughs> needed another old guy. So we, I, I you shoot, know. Probably. <laughs> well, <laughs> can't. What's crazy? Slow, but no. It, 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 yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I they're old. What makes me laugh about every piece of commentary I've seen about the Lakers since this has happened is essentially this is the same thing. I don't like the fit. The spacing is bad. How are they going to have LeBron and Westbrook? Yeah. Team's never right. going to work. They're still probably going to be the one seed in the West. It's like, well, then what do we? <laughs> so then, then right. what's the problem? Here? Right. They're like they, too many ball handlers. They can't all share the. Yeah, but they're still the number one seed. Number one seed. Number two at worst. Uh, so let's move on real quick to baseball. Uh, I have an interest. In, well, and first off, before we get into anything about baseball, I need to thank you. Uh, for Anthony Rizzo, he's been nice. He's oh, very, I don't know. You know, <laughs> that is that that's the one move the Cubs made. Not not that he's with the Yankees, because I'm OK. I, if he's yeah. going to go somewhere, I'd rather he go to the Yankees than anywhere else. But just that he that he's gone. I mean, he was the modern day Mr. Cub, right? He was everything to that franchise, um, to the fan base. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I'm glad. He's been, you know, killing it. I think he had an offer the other day, but other than that, he's been doing really well. He had that game-winning uh, home run last night for us. Uh, and nice. I will say, I I think in New York, I really appreciate the the sentiment that like the Yankees were terrible, and they went out and like there was some guy in the back who's like, we got to call our friends from the other side. And then they got two Italian guys to come in and start doing hits. Exactly. It's amazing. <laughs> like everything about it makes me so happy. It's so- <laughs> uh, but- right. But I guess my, my, my question that I wanted to frame for you is this. You are, I've always thought of you as a Cubs fan and me as a Yankees fan. And yet right now, mm-hmm. the Yankees are not the best team in New York. And the Cubs are not the best right. team in Chicago. How's Correct. the faces responding to the, the, the little stepbrother teams taking over with the Mets and the Cubs? Yeah. And the Sox? That's, that's so true. You know, we're actually going to uh, the Cubs-Sox game on Sunday. At Wrigley Field. So that'll be fun. But, you know, I was looking forward to it earlier in the year when the Cubs were actually playing well. But now that they're, you know, a shell of themselves, it's going to be just nauseating with all the White Sox fans. (laughs) Um, You know, the White Sox, much like the Mets and my experience in New York, they are like the the redheaded stepchild, right? Yeah. They're like this. They're clearly the second team in town. I always think about it like this. Mets fans hate the Yankee fans and Yankee fans don't pay attention to Mets fans. And that's always kind of been how it's been. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Uh, Cub fans just don't care about the White Sox. Yeah. White Sox fans are always like, what about me? 
<laughs> so it's, but you know what? As a baseball fan, like I've said before, I've watched a lot of White Sox this year because they have a good team. Yeah. Um, I do think that, you know, I don't need to get too deep into like the analyzation of the team, but they've had a little bit of trouble with the good teams. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, but that's, that happens. Uh, but they're a fun team to watch. And again, a young team. So uh, it's, it's been interesting um, to, to, to see that the, the growth of the White Sox and this weekend at Wrigley Field will be, will, will really tell me a lot uh, because how, what the, what the atmosphere is like, the outcomes of the games really are secondary to what the fans are going to, how they're going to react. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to go. You know, I've been to, I would say at this point in time, 20s, 30s Yankee games. I used to go so regularly. It wasn't even yeah. anymore when I was living in New York. Uh, been to a lot of sporting events. I still remember the one time I've been to Wrigley, though, because Wrigley is such a great place to watch a game. Even though that when we went to see that game years ago, I think the fans threw garbage on the field when Kerry Wood got thrown out. If I remember correctly, that was. Yes. A- <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I totally forgot about that, but that did happen. Yeah. One of my very passionate, like baseball fan moments was yeah. I was like, I remember specifically the fans threw the stuff on the field and the, the ushers and whatever came out to get the garbage and they took it off the field. And the second they got off the field, People started throwing more yeah, stuff. More um, garbage. More garbage. More garbage. Uh, <laughs> and let's do one quick football thing before we uh, sure. lighten around questions. Uh, Chicago Bears, you said there's a number one team in terms of fandom in the city. It feels like that's the most robust. Yes. Uh, the Bills are definitely not in New York City. <laughs> uh, and they're even up here, they're not really. Like, I think that there's probably just as many New York Giants fans. Uh, there's no Jets sure. around here, weirdly, but there's Giants fans and Bills oh, fans. Yeah, uh, interesting. Let me, ask, let me ask you this question with the Bears. Do, do you feel like what's the feeling going into the season with this Bears team, with Justin mm-hmm. Fields and Andy Dalton, mm-hmm. your new redheaded, your new redheaded quarterback, Andy Dalton? That's do right. you feel like do people feel optimistic or do you feel like there's not really a ton of upside this particular season with this Bears team? I think most of the most of the fan base is probably thinking, how quickly can we get to Justin Fields, right? Yeah. Then, yeah. and you know, I I think that that Dalton is a competent quarterback, and I'm hoping that he can, you know, keep yeah. them in games because even with Justin Fields, this is not a Super Bowl team this year. I don't, you know, I, I can't imagine that would ever happen. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, everyone is like, let's just get to Justin Fields. Cause yeah. we in Chicago have never, ever had that franchise quarterback, right? Ever. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we've had, you know, Jim McMahon won a Jim Super Man. Bowl. We had Sid Luckman, if you go way back, that they talk about who I never even, you know, he's so old that I never saw him play. Rex Grossman, classically, he got you a Super Bowl. He got us to a Super Bowl, but certainly not a franchise quarterback. Jay Cutler was supposed to be, but he was, he's just, a, you know. I, uh, I secretly, I secretly love Jay Cutler. He cracks me up. He's the angriest looking dude. He is. I to love that website that would just um, superimpose cigarettes into his mouth yeah. any picture my favorite thing in the world it cracks me up <laughs> so exactly and that's been the 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 bears quarterback situation forever it's been a joke so 
it, it, they just we just were so desperate to have that, and that's why we want to get to it as quickly as possible. So uh, yeah, that's the bill, where we're at. the Bills side of this equation right now, everyone in Buffalo left left their jobs early today because Josh Allen signed his new contract. His new yes, contract. I saw big holiday here in Buffalo, all the Buffalo folks. I would say that most Buffalo Bills fans are genuinely optimistic uh, and we're ignoring the Cole Beasley thing and we're just going forward and assuming <laughs> that, that uh, we are going to be fine and that this team is hopefully going to make it to another AFC championship game at the very least, which seems weird to say as a Bills fan of over 20 years. <laughs> right, right. No, I think you're right. Um, yeah. But for me, I think the highlight of the Bills season is going to be their second preseason game against the Chicago Bears, <laughs> where we get to see Trubisky against Justin Fields. Yes. I think that'll be the highlight for I me. Actually, I want the Trubisky Bills jersey if I can get it. If I, if I can find <laughs> it, I would get it. Uh, right, we'll do real quick, real quick before we do lightning round questions. Have you been, just because it's going on, I told people last week in the podcast that I've kind of checked out a couple weeks in. Are you watching the Olympics still? Are you still paying attention? Are you. I'm in and out, certainly not totally invested in it, but you know, it usually early in the morning, I'm like, well, what's on now? And what's uh, on now? Yeah. yeah. I did watch about 10 minutes of the, like the speed climbing this morning. Yeah. Yeah. That was all right. I got, I got a little into that for like 10 minutes just because I read an article actually today. This is, this is a good tie in. There's an article that came out today that said based on a, na- a nationwide poll, 40% of people watch the Olympics think they'd be able to compete in an event that seems like a stupidly high (laughs) (laughs) that is a ridiculously high number of people who have such a a high opinion of themselves as athletes right we all think we're athletes but we're not no Uh, but but I will say this in their defense some of these some of these sports they've included don't seem like sports no they um it's like, uh, in not, I'm not trying to diminish the talent or the effort it took to get there for, sure, yeah. for some of these, these athletes, but it's like, I don't know. Uh, I read an article, and I don't know if it was joking today, that cornhole could be an Olympic sport. Now, <laughs> that's not a sport. Way more than 40% of people think they'd be able to Olympic uh, medal in Cornhole. I'm going to tell you right now, yeah. 80% of people would think that. But, uh, see, I but think it's clearly a, a game. That's a game, yeah, not yeah. a sport. Now, right? I think about this from like the, the triathlon perspective, right? I was talking to, to Justin about this. Sure. Like, uh, if you do the triathlon, you do the swim, you do the bike, and you do the, the running at the end. I don't think if you didn't time me that I'd be able to do it. Right. Like I wouldn't be, I certainly wouldn't be able to win. Absolutely. I'm not sure that I could finish the course <laughs> like with, with unlimited time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just stop the clock. Just, just go do it. Just go do it. Like, mm, no, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's Randall, just never going to happen. Randall, I want to thank you for spending some time here today. I uh, hope it wasn't too boring for you, but uh, no, thank you. Let's do some lightning round questions before we let you go. And, uh, and then we can enjoy our, our Friday evenings, whatever that holds in store for you. Okay. Uh, so Randall, these are the same five or six questions we ask everybody who's been on the show, including one special one that I concocted just for our sports conversation. I call this the heaven can wait question. 
Uh, let's say some terrible accident happened and you passed away and you went to heaven and God was there and he said, hey, you weren't supposed to pass away. So we're going to send you back. I can't send you back as Randall Bailey, but I can let you be whatever you want. What sport do you feel like you'd want to do? Like, what's the athlete you'd want to do if you had a choice? You want an athlete or just the sport? Well, I guess the sport. Give me the sport. Okay. Oh, definitely. I would. I think being a professional baseball player would be the best job the best in the job. entire world. Yeah. Every time I go to a game, I think, God, that's the best job. Could you imagine getting paid to do that? So, because, and I tell you why. Because one, it was my favorite sport growing up. It was the one that I was the most successful at, though the success is a strong word. Right, right. right. In comparison. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, it, and it also is a sport where, you know, I, I played the field. I wasn't a pitcher. So, you know, pitchers can get hurt. They can blow out their arms and their career is yeah. over. But if you're a position player, you know, the likelihood of you getting a major injury is pretty slim. Yeah. Right? I mean, I always... you pull a hammy here and there, but come on. See, the boring answer I always felt like is golf because you can just play golf forever and just keep making money and be sure, professional golfer sure. for like 80 years. But that's not as prestige. I don't feel like that's as exciting to tell people I'm a professional golfer or I play for the <laughs> Chicago Cubs. Right? Like, it feels different. Right. No, I think there's, yeah, it's totally different. If you were in the show, that's a big deal, right? I yeah. made it to the oh, show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, Randall, here's our lightning round questions. These are the same six we give everybody. Uh, let's start off with an easy one. Randall, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Uh, I don't take the coffee. I drink ice water in the morning. Ice water uh, in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've given up coffee altogether over the last few months. So I drink, uh, just drink a glass of ice water. That's yeah. a shame. You have that amazing coffee machine in your house that your wife. You know what? It's true. We got that at Christmas and you know, about halfway through the year I gave up coffee and I'm like, uh, it's why, delicious. Uh, but Why coffee? Why'd you give up coffee? I don't know if I knew this. Well, it's, well, I, I had been, I kind of given up caffeine for yeah. years ago. Right. But I would drink decaf coffee. And then eventually I just decided this is just a waste of, of coffee. Right. Yeah. Why, I mean, why am I doing this? So I just, uh, you know, wake up. They say there's some health benefits to drinking water. First thing when you wake up. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Well, this is how sad I am. I had to buy one of these bottles to start drinking more water. This is what it took. Yeah. I had to like get a fancy bottle. <laughs> Uh, what was your first Randall automobile, your first automobile? Oh, my first automobile was a 1975 Chevy Nova. Yes. It was, it was a blue, uh, and it, it, my mother bought it for me on my 16th birthday for $550. Now this was in 1988. So that was a little bit more money than it is today. Oh yeah. But yeah. Still, still, still not a lot of money. And uh, my first winter in that thing, I put it in a ditch because it was a big snow. It was a big snowstorm. So we went into a ditch, me and my buddies, and we just left it there because it was it was middle of a snowstorm. I walked to my buddy's house. Then we came back and eventually got it out of the ditch and it lost its muffler and half the exhaust system. And I never replaced it. So you could never you always had to have the windows open or you would just be asphyxiated. So. Even in the dead of winter, we're, we're driving around with the windows open. <laughs> that sounds very dangerous. You may or may not have taken your death trap 1975 Chevy Nova to see it, but what was your very first live music event? Oof. Oh, you mean like a big one, not like some polka band? Well, I would do my first con like rock concert. I'll go with that because that's yeah. probably the most memorable was uh, 
it was Def Leppard uh, with Europe opening for Def Leppard. Wow. With the final countdown, right? <laughs> so, and the, the, I was 14 years old and my friend won tickets on uh, over the, the, the radio, right? The radio, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he, was, he was 16 and I was 14. I was not allowed to go to concerts, yeah. but we snuck out. I snuck out. He was free to go and went to this concert. This concert was in Alpine Valley, which is a venue, an outdoor venue in Wisconsin. So we drove to Wisconsin, went to the show, um, and they were amazing seats, right? We, as we get there, like Europe is finishing up, and of course the final countdown was our last song. So we could hear that as we're walking in. And then we're like fifth row, just like left of center for Def Leppard, and it was incredible. Um, but I was grounded the entire summer because <laughs> I snuck out and went to the show and got home at like three in the morning. Those are the kind of things you don't want to tell like your your actual kids. But like no. as I get older, the things I remember a lot from my childhood were things where I got in a lot of trouble for doing something stupid that I wasn't supposed to do, like trying to right. stay out overnight or like go to, to do some yeah. nonsense. Like those are the things I still remember from from back in the day. Uh Randall, if you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be and why? I would say Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. Interesting. Interesting. I, I think that his, like his, his, just his, his life, the going through that era, um, probably not somebody you would think I would say, but That's fascinating. I, also, I think, the beginning of Hollywood is fascinating to me. And he was there, right there, right? Right there at the, the beginning of yeah. Hollywood and taking it through the silent film era, then into the talkies. Um, so I just, and just seeing the world at that during that era would be fascinating because so much has changed in the 20th century to get us to today, right? To, yeah. to the 21st. It, I just think that that's an interesting era. I was just talking about this yesterday, actually, about like the transition of media and how you either want to be on the good side of it or the bad side of it. And I wonder if today we're in that with the, like the streaming thing. Like, there's all this conversation about movies not going to theaters and getting sure. Up. Sure. Are we gonna like in ten years? Are we gonna even remember that movie theaters existed? Is everything just gonna go right? Like, and and should yeah. we? Like, should some of these people be on it already? You know, it's a hard question to answer. Uh, all right, this one I'm gonna have to set the stage for you. So bear with me for one. Okay. Second. Sure. You are the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. You mm, are walking. Okay. You are walking through the curtain out to the crowd. They're cheering your name. You're holding the belt above your head as you make your way to the ring. What song is playing in the background as you prepare to defend your title? Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that might be pretty. I don't know if you've asked that question to many people. That might have been a popular answer. That song was on my high school football pump-up mix that they would play yeah, before. Yeah. Like, and it, this was like 2004. So that shows you how quickly they were updating the hype-up songs. Like we're still listening to <laughs> Thunderstruck. Uh, and last but, not, last but not least, Randall, uh, give me one book, album, movie, or television show that you or you and your wife are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Oh, okay. Um, whew. What are we currently, we just, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm right now I'm reading and I know you've read The Dead Zone. Yep, classic. By Stephen classic. King. <laughs> yep, yep. So I'm in the middle of that, which I'm, I'm enjoying immensely. Uh, and then TV shows. Well, 
I mean, you know our affinity for Ted Lasso, but we have we have not started season two yet. I know. I talked to your wife about it a couple days. I couldn't believe. Yeah, what? we're <laughs> we're holding off because you know once it's over, it's over. It's just so over. we true. But now we're still excited because it hasn't begun, and excitement is really that's that's almost better than. And you're probably not like on social media the way like a lot of folks are now where you're going to get spoilers. You can sort of probably right. avoid it if you don't go out of your way looking for it. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't seen too much about it. So I think we're good there. But, uh, uh, you know, I've been watching a show on Apple TV um, for all mankind. Have you yeah. heard of this one? Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't seen much about it, though. It's a, it's kind of about... Uh, I just finished season one and there's a second season I'm starting. So it's about kind of like this, the space program and it's, yeah. it's fictional, right? right it's right. kind of, you know, it's fictional, but they weave in a lot of true mm. history into it. And that it's about bringing women into the space program way earlier, like way, like in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. So, uh, and now they're kind of colonizing the moon with the Russians and there's a whole other thing that now we're in the eighties. So it's kind of interesting. It's just, right. you know, it's kind I'm of like that. Yeah. Up, cause I've seen, I've definitely seen commercials and like trailers for it on like stuff that they advertise for me. Uh, Randall, I want to thank you for spending some time with us here today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know that not all of our listeners love uh, when I get into deep sports conversations because <laughs> they feel like they know what I'm talking about. But as I mentioned, we, uh, you know, we've been sort of talking about putting something out anyway. So if we want to, we will do some more sports stuff going forward on the other stream besides just this one. But uh, I'm yeah. glad that we had a chance to do this today. Absolutely. Thank you, Sam. It's my pleasure. And uh, Randall, we will be back to the show in just a Three names at me. I'm, I gotta come up with something. Uh, all right, let's do some very quick history lessons on this day, 1974. Gerald Ford uh, becomes the president. Uh, in accordance to his statements of resignation the previous evening, Richard Nixon officially ended his term as the 37th president on uh, noon of August 9th, 1974. Before departing with his family in a helicopter on the White House lawn, he smiled farewell and enigmatically raised his arms in a V for victory symbol, which I think is like one of the predominant images of Nixon. Mm -hmm. uh, helicopter door was closed, and then Nixon's family uh, left for California. Minutes later, Vice President uh, Gerald Ford was sworn in as the 38th President of the United States. Uh, he spoke to the nation on a television address declaring, my fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. It's a heavy burn. <laughs> it's a tight <laughs> burn. Yeah, oof, geez, again. Ford was the, fir uh, the first president who came to office through appointment rather than election had replaced Spiro Agnew as vice president only eight months before. In a political scandal independent from the Nixon administration's wrongdoing in the Watergate affair, Agnew had been forced to resign in disgrace after he was charged with income tax evasion and political corruption. 1974, Ford pardoned Nixon for any crimes he may have committed while in office, uh, explaining that he wanted to end the national divisions created by the Watergate scandal. I think that was probably like the first like uh, like bad PR thing, right? It's like, hey, Gerald Ford, new guy. Then he like pardons Nixon. They're like, oh, really? All right. 
Spiro Agnew, that's a good deep dive you're ever looking for some interesting... One of the more interesting um, stories <laughs> in American history in the last hundred years or so, if you're looking to learn about an individual. Spiro Agnew. Uh, on this day, 1995, Jerry Garcia passed away. Mm. Uh, Jerome John Garcia, born August 1942, was raised in San Francisco's Excelsior District, about five miles south of the band's famous future residence there at Ashbury Street. Uh, he was trained formally on piano as a child, and he picked up the instrument he'd make a living at at the age of 15 when he convinced his mother to replace the accordion she'd bought him as a birthday gift with a Dan Electro electric guitar. Kevin, I know you're a huge fan of the Dan Electro product. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting for a very specific sound. Feels like a weird guitar that for Jerry Garcia to own, although I guess, I don't know, maybe it makes sense. They're kind of a... Uh, a particular band, a particular instrument for particular sounds. Mm, I, mean, I feel like he moved away from that as they became. Yeah. yeah. After brief stints in art school, the army, and surviving a deadly automobile accident in 1961, Garcia began to pursue a musical career in earnest, playing with various groups that were part of San Francisco's burgeoning bluegrass and folk scene. By 1965, he joined up with the group that would become the Grateful Dead. They were originally called the Warlocks. That was Phil Lesh, Bob Weir. Ron McKernan and Bob, oh sorry, Bill Kurtzman. I'm sure some Grateful Dead fans will be mad if I mispronounced any of those wrong. Shout out to Pete. Uh, for early on, Dead was a defining part of San Francisco's burgeoning hippie counterculture scene. Go on to play at Monterey Pop Festival in Woodstock in 1967 and 69. Uh, but as big as they were in the 60s and 70s, they grew even more popular and successful as the decade they helped define slipped farther into the past. During the final decade of Jerry's life following his recovery from a diabetic coma in 1986, the Dead played an average of 100 to 150 live shows per year. Why? Uh, frequently to sold-out audiences that included a significant portion of college students who were not alive when the Grateful Dead first made their name. Uh, Jerry Garcia's long, strange trip came to an end on August 9th, 1995, when he died of a heart attack in a residential drug treatment facility in California. He was 53 years old uh i mean i'm probably not the wrong person to wax poetic about the grateful dead because i don't really care for them mm. uh but you know it really that's i think is impressive right if you think that this is a band that came together in like the early 60s mm -hmm. right and just the longevity is mind-blowing and the dedication of the fan base i'm always pretty impressed with uh whether it's a band that i'm super into or not something that always leaves an impression with me is when a band the people who love the band like love the band yeah. people yeah. are really like they go mm -hmm. all the way in and deep any kind of band like that i always have a certain amount of respect for for a lot of people to care to that level there must be something there generally yeah, yeah. i mean it was never for me although i guess i'm in the age range where suddenly i'll decide it's for me because mm. it seems like a lot of guys i grew up with have now decided that mm. the grateful that is for them they're here for it uh let's do our time warp this week this week we're going back to one of my favorite years of all time 1991 that would have mm. made me a solid five years old huh? there you go good year five years old so the number one movie in america as you drive to see it number one movie in america is hot shots with an exclamation point mm. uh, american comedy film written and directed by john abrams who was one of the directors of airplane Starring Charlie Sheen, Carrie Elways, Lloyd Bridges, John Cryer, Christy Swanson, and Bill Irwin. Movie is primarily a parody of Top Gun, with some scenes spoofing other popular films, including Nine and a Half Weeks, Fabu uh, Fabulous Baker Boys, Dancing with Wolves, Marathon Man, Rocky, Superman, and Gone with the Wind. Mm. Uh, film debuted at number one in the U.S. It was both a critical and commercial success, grossing over $180 million on a $26 million budget. It holds an 83% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Mm. Says this is a quote. Hot Shots hits most of the parodic targets with a plum excelling at a daffy good time thanks to inspired gags and Charlie Sheen's crack comic timing. A sequel, Hot Shots Part 2, was released in 1993 with Sheen reprising his role. I'm blown away that when I was doing the research for this that people love this movie so much because I was always under the impression that both of these movies were trash. No, people like this stuff. People like these movies? Man. Uh, I feel like this is a genre of movie that has gone to the wayside. What, the parody movie? The parody movie. Gone. Mm, I think they still make them. Yeah, but this was like the number one movie in America in 1991. This is like the, you know what I mean? Like this was a big deal, right? Even the mm-hmm. scary movie movies were like going to box office, like the early ones, right? Like the idea, I feel like they don't make this type of movie that much anymore. It's like one of those things that just Well, because kinda... they wore them out when they put yeah. out all those ones. Like they, they went back to the well way too many times. Like if you look at all those movies they made, like the Not Another This movie or Epic movie or, yeah. you know, every kind of... For a long period of time, there were one or two of these coming out per year for like 10, 12 straight years. I think it's just, it's a little worn out. You know what I mean? Uh, Screen Rant did their list of the best parody movies according to Rotten Tomatoes. So number one was Airplane, which feels like the the classic Gone with the Wind style answer. Sure. Number two is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Is that really a parody movie? Yeah. Just a, just a comedy, isn't it? What's it a parody of? Of like, all those kind of those kind yeah, of Yeah, I guess. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows from 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Spinal Tap, which feels like it would have been higher on the list at number four. Young Frankenstein, which is probably my favorite. Mm, I do love Young Frankenstein. I do love Young Frankenstein. Ooh, Enchanted, 2007, mm. for all you Disney marks out there. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, which I guess, I mean, that counts, I suppose. Yeah, under 100%. Uh, yeah. Cabin in the Woods. Uh, I, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. I mean, Shaun of the Dead feels more traditionally like a parody movie mm-hmm. than Hot Fuzz, but I, I, I guess. Hot Fuzz is a parody of a certain kind of British movie, I think. Blazing, I think it's still a very British thing. Blazing Saddles. A classic. Classic. I like when people make that joke today. They're like, oh, you couldn't make Blazing Saddles. And you're like, yeah, the actors look at the script and they'd say, they made this already. It's Blazing Saddles. Mm. Why would you make it again? Uh, and Borat, which I, I guess sort of, kind of a parody of what? Mockumentary documentaries is what we're going for here? Yeah. Some of these feel sort of fringe, I guess. You kind of have to. Yeah. To make this like yeah. random, you know, get 20 things on your list or whatever. Uh, all right, so as you drive home from the movie theater, you turn on the radio and listen to the number one song in America, Kev. Everything I Do, I Do For You by Brian Adams. Mm. Have you played in a lot of bands over the years? Have you ever come across this song on a set list anywhere? No. No, never? No, I haven't. No, I think it's a little too... I don't know where you would do it. Maybe if you were, like, performing somebody's, like, first dance at a wedding. Yeah. It's a little too slow to play. In it. You know what I mean? Like, That's... people are... Almost every place I play has people that are like people are having fun and like having yeah. some beers and wanting to party and like that just like puts them. To, it's real weepy. It's real weepy. Uh, written by Brian Adams, Michael Kamen, and Robert John Mutt Lang, famously known as Shania Twain's husband, mm. I think, for a while. Uh, it was featured on two albums, uh, both Brian Adams' sixth album, "Waking Up the Neighbors," in 1991, and the soundtrack album for the 1991 film "Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves." Movie was an enormous chart success internationally, reaching the number one position on the music charts of at least 19 countries. Particularly notable for its success in the United Kingdom, where it spent 16 consecutive weeks at number one in the UK singles chart. The longest uninterrupted run ever on the chart as of this year. So no song has beaten this in the UK. They loved it. Loved it. In the US, it topped the US Billboard uh, Hot 100. With combined radio and sales for seven weeks, went on to sell more than 15 million copies worldwide, making it Brian Adams' most successful song and one of the best-selling singles of all time. 
song has been covered by hundreds of singers and artists around the world. Uh, I could not escape this song when I was a kid. My mom loved this movie. Everyone had a crush on Kevin Costner, women mm. of a certain age, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this song was on the radio constantly. Mm-hmm. I loved the Robin Hood movie as a kid. I find it to be kind of nostalgically entertaining now, but it's not very good. Sure. But I do find this song and that movie to be inexplicably linked, at least for me. I can't think well, of... Because I remember they had uh, the music video. Yeah. There was the music video that had all the like Robin Hood footage in it. I, I went back and watched that movie with some students for a high school class once. And the the just the lack of any attempt at an English accent by Costner is no. really Costner dark. doesn't care. He did not give he a shit at all. at all. And everyone else is kind of really trying. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, uh, I'm Robin of Loxley. Anyway, I'm from England. This is my cabin. It's like, are you sure? Are you mm-hmm. sure you're from England? Because you sound like you're from like Detroit. Yeah. Uh, all right. And you can go home, snuggle into your warm bed, and read the number one book in America, The Kitchen God's Wife by Amy Tan. Kitchen God's Wife is the second novel by Chinese-American author Amy Tan, who found success before this with the Joy Luck Club. First per- uh, published in 1991, it deals extensively with Sino-American female identity and draws on the story of her mother's life. Unlike the last few weeks, this is like an actual book that people liked and was well-received, so there's not like a lot of fun things for me to make fun of. It isn't like some ten... <laughs> it isn't like the tenth book in like some fantasy series. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean... It was very popular in the U.S., and it also was featured on several bestsellers lists in Australia, England, Canada, Denmark, Spain, and Germany. There's really not, like, uh, a short, like, summary of the plot, so just go look it up, because Amy Tan's got lots of books. Mm. Uh, but this will lead into our uh, another small discussion about books I wanted to share with you, Kev. I sent you a list this week that I saw on Reddit, and it was an aggregated list of the 100 top books of all time. Mm-hmm. Now... Kev, you're, you're, you and I are extensive readers. I, and even for people who you know read, I feel like you read even more than I do. I like to read. You like, I like to a read. book. I do like a book. Uh, and a list like this, which is full of just like classic books, mm-hmm. is always kind of hard to quantify. You can look up a million different book lists of a million different greatest novels of all time, mm-hmm. and all these same books will probably be on here, but like in a different order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll share you the. I shared this list on Twitter with a lot of our uh, listeners, and I saw some really nice comments from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Chris Talgo, who said that number two, The Brothers Karamazov, is one of his favorite books of all time. Mm-hmm. It is a great book. It's a tough read. I'll give you my top ten. Here's the top ten. Number one was Moby Dick by uh, Herman Melville. Mm-hmm. Number two, The Brothers Karamazov by uh, Fedor Dostoevsky. Number three was Ulysses by James Joyce. Number four, Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Number five, Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov, which I feel like is on all these lists, and I don't know anyone who's ever actually read. Mm. Like, it's like I know some people who say they've read like Crime and Punishment, but no one I know has actually ever read Lolita. Mm. Uh, number six, Crime and Punishment. Number seven, Gravity's Rainbow. We'll come back to that in a second. Number eight, Don Quixote. Number nine, Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. And number ten, Stoner by John Williams. Uh, Kevin, any of these books ring out to you, or any of the books that are on uh, on the short list here? Uh, Catch your eye when I showed um, you yesterday. I yeah, I mean, I when I was going through, I was saying to you, it's always interesting with the books because there are so many, and it's such like a time chunk investment to read a book that there's always going to be books on a classic list like this where you're like, I would like to read that. Hopefully, yeah. sometime in the next ten years, I'll mm-hmm. pick that up, and that's how I end up feeling about some of these books. Like you know, you take something that's like traditionally a slog, like you said, Crime and Punishment or yeah. Ulysses or something like that. It would be interesting to try to climb that. It's like sometimes books are like climbing a mountain. 
You know what yes. I mean? Some of them are easy day hikes. Some mm -hmm. are little hills. There's books that are like Everest. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've heard about like a book like Infinite Jest or something like that. Uh, Blood Meridian is one that's on my short list. It's been on deck. I feel like next to my bed for like a... Yeah. An amount of time, and then it moved away, and then <laughs> yeah. it was there, and then it was there. But I'm not always. Sometimes the Cormac McCarthy can be real bleak. Yep. Um. Not. It's not always something that'll snatch you in the first couple pages. So it just hasn't happened. But yeah, there's a lot of books on this list. I mean, uh, I'll give you guys one that I, I I shared it on Twitter, so folks can go look at it there. I'll put it on the Instagram maybe later. But uh, it's number seven on this list. It's Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pinchon. This is a book that during a period of time in my life, and I was pursuing hard books. I was going online and looking at like, the toughest books to read, like the most dense books, right? Mm -hmm. This book showed up on a lot of lists. It's about like nuclear war. It is functionally unreadable. Like I have started mm. this book so many times, I can't tell you. And the first chapter is just like 80 pages of a guy describing his breakfast. Just like, oh God, move on, what's happening? <laughs> and it's like, I'm sure it's good, but I can't break through the that happens sometimes the wall of it i'm like god i just need to get like 50 80 pages in or something that happens and it just, you gotta ah. get it's 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 like what i imagine surfing to be where you're trying to get up on top of the wave <laughs> like, and sometimes you can't pull yourself up you're I like ah, i need a little top. i can't get up uh, i can't get up so yeah uh i'll get i'll share the list for people to look at um i also recommend 2666 by roberto bolano which i was happy to see yeah there's a ton i was on... yeah uh, anything else on this list you want to have before I move on to mailbag questions? I didn't. When you sent me the thing, the the you couldn't. I didn't. You yeah. could you could only sort of see the words. They were like pixelated. So I was looking a bit at some of the covers. But yeah, I mean, in like I said, you know, a hundred greatest books of all time. There's a, a million. We could do the whole show yeah. for for twelve weeks about this list of books. Well, it's funny. Uh, I did do the the uh, the what do you call the pretentious pat myself in the back thing today when I was walking by looking at this list because on our bookshelf over there. There's definitely a copy of 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Marquez, and it was mm -hmm. sitting on top of a copy of the was it the Savage Detectives by Roberto Bolano. I was like, hey, two of the top 100 of all time, back to back mm. in our lists. Aren't we smart? Well, I've seen Savage Detectives. That's your book because I, I recognize that cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. read that one. That's a good one too. Roberto Bolano, underrated author. No one gives him any credit. Got some good books if you like um, mystic realism, like stuff set in like Mexico and full of crime and murder. It'd be cool if it was your job to read books. Like, oh, whose job is it to read books? What are they, book reviewers? <laughs> yeah, book like, reviewers, editors. Yeah, editors but like editors, you got, yeah, you got to read like yeah. all sorts of like junk and do editing. I'm like, <laughs> whose job is it to be like, oh, hey, one more person to read Moby Dick, pay me money. Yeah, do it. <laughs> uh, you know what the gig would be is to get paid to read like books on tape. That's probably not a bad right? idea. You read yeah. the book as you do it, and mm -hmm. you get paid to do the performance. Mm. There's probably people probably making some good money in that. Probably paying the ass though after a while, a long ass book. You gotta go back and read a whole section if you screw it up. I mean, it's a lot of you know. It's a pain in the ass to to pour concrete. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like it's true. a pain in the ass to to lay bricks. Uh, quick mailbag question for this week. Uh, unanswerable question, really. What would you say, Kevin, is the most commonly cooked home meal on any given night in America? So let's just make it the United States for the mm. sake of making it easier. What do you think is the most common meal that shows up on any dinner plate in America? Takeout. Um, yeah, takeout. Probably. Yeah, I mean, if you were really going all across, I I don't know if it's a bias to say pasta. Pasta was good. My first some thought. sort of pasta macaroni. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's kind of about like you know living in the Northeast. There's a lot of people where pasta, pasta. is a staple. Whereas maybe if I was in the Southwest, I would say something more chicken like rice, and rice, beans, things like yeah. that. Chicken. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I would say something like spaghetti and meatballs makes sense. Like if you told me that like five percent of households in America were eating spaghetti and meatballs on any given night, that or would just make like sort any, of sense. Or just any kind of pasta. I mean, you just make like penne pasta, pasta yeah. or red sauce, any kind of alfredo, yeah. any kind of you know thing like that. Mm-hmm. Any sort of pasta, macaroni and cheese. I feel like pasta meat's with butter expensive. For little kids. My first thought was like hamburger or like a hot dog or something, but meat's not like you know not a lot of people. I feel like people aren't banging out hamburgers, hamburgers every on night TV, anymore. Yeah. Tacos, maybe in some places. Maybe. I feel like most people, uh, I mean, some sort of taco in some places for small subcultures. But yeah, people aren't pizza. just banging out hamburgers and pizza every night. I mean, yeah. you, they shouldn't be. I'm sure, <laughs> no, I'm sure some people are. But uh, All right. And I'll save the other mailbag question for next week. Uh, let me take a quick look at the Spotify playlist. I don't know if you added songs or not yet, Kevin. I put some songs on. Uh, I'll just highlight two songs this week. Uh, one is the song Fire It Up by Modest Mouse, which I heard while I was at the gym on the treadmill. It's a good treadmill song. It's a good mm. walk on the treadmill song. Not run, because running is for fools. My knees are, don't hate me that much. Mm. But uh, but yeah, Fire It Up by Modest Mouse. And then also, uh, I'm going to say Rock Boys and the winner is, parentheses on parentheses, by Jay-Z from the American Gangster soundtrack. Wow, deep reach. Super deep reach. I, you know, this is Kevin, you'll, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes I just like a rap song that has a lot of horns in the track. I, a I, lot of horns. Listen, I mean, you know me, I'm always there for any kind of horns. Yeah. I like all horn bands, literally like any, yeah. yeah, anytime there's horns, I'm in for it. So that makes sense. And those horns are, are colossal. In that colossal song. horns, yeah. Uh, Kevin, any songs you want to highlight this week? Uh, yeah, I put a couple. I put a Modest Mouse song on there mm-hmm. uh, because that podcast that I, I think I talked about on the show called Band Splain that I yeah. like a lot did, did a Modest Mouse episode this past week. Uh, so I put Heart Cook's Brain on there off Lonesome Crowded West, one mm-hmm. of my favorites. Classic. Um, and also I put on Shakedown Street by The Grateful Dead hey. just because we were talking about Jerry Garcia and that's probably my most consistently favorite like go-to oh, yeah. Grateful Dead song. Um, I've jammed on a little bit with like some bands and musicians. It's pretty fun. I don't know, I'm not like a huge Grateful Dead guy, no, but yeah. always, anytime I've ever seen a Grateful Dead adjacent thing live, it's always been a cool show. I can appreciate it as a musician, certainly. All right. Well, that is it. Uh, thanks once again to Randall, and uh, depending on how long it takes for us to produce a title and a first episode, you'll see Randall or hear Randall in uh, maybe, maybe next week, maybe, I think. Hmm. I already have a, a sports story that I'm working on for the sports historian thing, so I'm depends how much he's gotten done at his end. He seems pretty excited, so he might be ready to go, like, tomorrow, knowing him. Mm. Uh, but I got some stuff in line for that. So, uh, yeah, and then also I got a lot of interviews lined up for the next few weeks for us, so I don't think I'm going to ignore this show. I actually have a really exciting new person coming on next week who's never been on the show before, so that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's it. Sign our humanoids. Uh, shout out to Heather Waz. She'll be back sooner than later, I think. Got to meet her this week. Uh, you can follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Dune. You can follow the show at Uticast. We are on... Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. Uh, what am I forgetting? Forgetting something on there. Everything. Everything. I always forget. We're, we're on all the stuff. Wherever you know where we are. Uh, if you're it. here, then we're here where you found us. Uh, this place here where you found us, we will be here next week. It's true. It's true. Uh, sign our human rights. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time, and we will see you next week. For another episode of the Uticast, stay safe out there, folks, and uh, take care of each other, right? Eh?